Well, good evening. Good evening. It's good to be back and I thought for a moment as I was wondering about the session for tonight as we struggle with the PowerPoint up there, I will just change the message so I just grab something else that I want to look at and then it comes back so I think we probably then will continue. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep my laptop in the front here. Yeah, that's okay, we'll get there. <laughs> I saw that confession, I saw the hand, it's fine. Yeah. As I heard, Scott says that. And uh, so I'm going to open the PowerPoint on my laptop as well, and I will just go along and then tell you if you can just kind of follow and just put up the screen. It's not so much about the PowerPoint slides, I just want to show you actually a picture, but sometimes it's good if you can see um, also what is on the screen, and then you can make some notes as we go along because I don't. I will not be preaching to you tonight, I just want to take a moment and share a few things, but I just need to find now that PowerPoint. Um, oh, there it is. And then we take it step by step and see what the Lord has in mind. But before we get to the session tonight, I usually the last couple of months since COVID-19 started in South Africa, I started to, every time before I'm preaching or teaching something, I would rather take a moment and just talk about what's happening in the world and maybe just give a nugget that is connected with that, because we pretty much uh, hear so much what's happening in the world, connected to the end times and the coming of the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of fake news out there, there's a lot of good news, there's a lot of uh, people's opinions about the end of times. I rather focus on what the Lord Jesus himself has said in the book of Matthew chapter 24. And as I was looking at that, I realized I started to look at the end times from three different perspectives and the one was what Jesus was teaching what we are supposed to do, although there is a science, problem number one, Matthew chapter 24, that speaks about the beginning of the end and then we talk about uh, the second coming of Jesus, the middle part of chapter 24, then there is towards the end, as we speak about the tribulation and things like that. So Jesus actually gave us a lot of information about that. And then he gives us about five or six points following that, what to do as we wait upon the end that will take place. Paul, after looking at the life of Paul, gave us six wonderful nuggets in how to prepare ourselves, just by looking at the outline and the timeline of Paul's life. But what I want to do tonight before we start is just kind of, just to give you maybe just something that I have thought about for myself in the times of COVID. And I remember last year when I was preaching in the country of Namibia, I was uh, talking about something from the life of Joshua, but every evening I took some time just to give a thought like this. And I remember as I was sitting there, there was a man from South Africa that came all the way for two days just to be there with his son that was living there. And I was giving some of these nuggets and I saw him running it down. And just about two or three months later, I heard the news that he died because of COVID-19. And so I was just tuning in and listening to his service as today, when they were live streaming that on YouTube. And the son stood up and he said, I want to read you something from the journal from my father. And my journal wrote down six things that he still wants to do in his life before the end of time. So it becomes his goal. And and he gave the six points that I kind of just shared at the beginning of the service. I just thought maybe we can start tonight with that before we get to the session and see how the Lord leads us as we continue our time to 
together there tonight. As I look at the end times, I wrote down a number of things. And the first thing is the following. For many people, what's happening worldwide, there's panic, there's fear, there's a lot of stuff happening out there, and you need to find a balance. But I just follow six simple rules. The first one is the following, God is not dead. Um, so seek Him as much as you can, as long as possible, spend time with Him, it's not dead. And as young Merkel used to say that things are not falling apart, things are actually falling into place at the moment. And so, I know that we are living towards the end of time, so I'm using the time to prepare myself by spending quality time as much as I can with God and listen to His voice as a preparation. Because Jesus gave Matthew chapter 24, that He can actually, as we look at that, we can write out three P's if you want, because He gives you time to prepare. He gives you the information for you to study that you know that you need to persevere because He loves you so much and He wants to protect you. It's important to look at Matthew chapter 24 for that perspective. God wants to protect you. That's why He gave us the information. He wants us to persevere towards the end of times because things will become much worse, much more difficult than we anticipate in this moment. And having said that, He would help us at the same time that we can prepare ourselves. Now I'm telling pastors, I say, listen, when I look around you today, I want to tell you straight, straight up, you only have two jobs. Number one, teach your people how to die, tell them how to die, and number two, tell them how to live in the times towards the end. And how can we reach the masses with the gospel message in such a time as this? So the three P's are kind of very, very important for each and every one of us when you think about the end of times. <coughs> then there's this wonderful book before we get to the second point. If you look at that second pillar of Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus said he will come with a, with, a, with a crowd of people who have died and come before us and with all the angels. You know, sometimes when I think about this, if you have this picture in your mind of this geese that's flying up in the air, which is in the front, and it's almost like, a, you know, like an arrow, and you see the hundreds of geese. You know, when you, when the birds, that's what you see. And I, you know, I, I listened to someone the other day that said, they asked the question, how many people were upon the earth ever since the beginning of the earth? And what is the stats that the UN released a few years ago about the number of people that has been living on this earth? And they got to a number of like 100 or 120 billion people. That's come, it's come and gone, come and go. 120 billion people. Let's just say 10 percent have accepted the Lord Jesus as Savior. We talk about 10 billion people. It's more than what is there in the world today, alright? Imagine when you look up on the 10 billion people coming with Jesus plus the angels. What an amazing scene. So we tend to forget about things like this. When I look at the end times, I I, I am just pursuing maximum time in my studies to be with God because He's not dead. And I want to be ready. It could be today that I want to be ready. Second point. When you look at the technology of today, people are becoming lazy. So you need to read as much as you can. That you can still stir your heart, your mind, your brain, because sometimes when you receive something in the book and you just kind of look, it doesn't kind of grab your attention, you just throw it away and you don't 
comfortable, but I just love the smell of a book and to read it. So just, I don't read books on Kindle. I, I order a book on Kindle as a sample to see what the book is about, and then I will see if I can find the book and then I will read it. Because I like the smell of the book, and I want to hold the book in my hand and I want to feel it. Because I know more or less, if I think about this book, what page, I remember that what I was reading. So read as much as you can, as long as you can. Point number three, physical exercise. Walk and exercise as much as you can. Because you get to a point in your life where, you, where your hips and your legs and your knees, all this stuff, is not working together anymore. So I am walking and I'm trying to exercise and trying to stay healthy. And with that, you can add a diet if you want as well. Point number four. Build as many memories with your loved ones as possible. As long as they're alive, spend time with them. And with COVID-19, we probably have seen that people will fall away, they get sick, they suddenly die. Take the time to spend time with your family, your wife, your loved one. Don't take it for granted. Build memories as much as you can. Point number five. If it's possible for you still to travel, there are beautiful spots, beautiful spots in South Carolina and America, and go to all the beautiful and the wonderful places that you can see, that you can sit and stare and smell a rose and a flower and the early morning dew, the morning dew from on high, just enjoy nature and the beauty of what God has given to you guys in this place. And point number six, don't forget to laugh as much as you can, because humor is important for the soul. Just some thoughts. We can add the six from Paul and six from Jesus, and you have a lot of stuff to think about. But I think if you do this, you'll be okay. Maybe we can add some more tomorrow, we'll see how we go. Or I can send you an email if you want to know some more. Maybe some stuff in the book of Matthew and also for the life of Paul. Paul gives specific, practical, logistical advice how to prepare that we can be protected. Alright. I'm gonna I've never done this preaching from a laptop, so please excuse me. If I do this tonight, it's just something to keep my eye on the screen because I don't have a clicker to somehow let the slides flow. But what I want to do tonight is I am not going to preach to a sermon. I am going to share something with you from the life of Moses. And then as we go through the slides, I'm trusting God that He will use that to stir your heart at the same time to challenge you. Because you and I can choose how close we want to be of Jesus. And as we go through the slides tonight, and as we talk through this material tonight, I'm not going to do that in the sense of preaching with invitation, but I am trusting God that He will bring the conviction to the heart, and that there will be the response in your heart that is needed as we leave this place tonight. Let's just take a moment and then we pray together. Father, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank you for your love and your kindness. We thank you for the mercies that you bestow upon us day by day. And we do want to thank you for the time that we can spend together tonight. It is good for us to take a moment away from the busyness of life and all the responsibilities just to walk away and to sit and to become quiet. 
In the book of Psalms, verse 10 and chapter 46, he said, Be still and know that I am God. And so we want to become quiet and still tonight and just somehow forget about all the things that is going on around us. And just focus for a few moments on that still small voice that is within our hearts. And we pray that you would guide us and lead us and speak to us comfort us and convict us, reveal to us and whatever you have in your heart for us in this evening. That as we would leave this place tonight, we could say it was good for us to be together in the house of the Lord because we've heard the voice of God that has spoken to us in this evening. And so, Father, we will be equipped to give you all the glory and the honor that you so deserve even in this evening. And as we leave, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for tomorrow on the Lord's Day as we come together to worship. And not just here, but in every other place here in South Carolina, every state in the USA, and for those that are still asleep as they worship in different time zones all over the world, that this will be a wonderful day, and that people will be drawn closer and closer unto the Lord Jesus. And may it pleases you to find in every nation, in every city, in every church, man or woman that you can use that is willing to go the distance and to be so close to you. May you be glorified in each and every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want, we can turn to the book of Exodus chapter 3. It's the well-known passage that speaks about Moses. Uh, the call of Moses took place in Exodus chapter 3, how God called him. There were all the excuses that Moses was using why he was not fit to be the instrument and the man that God wants to use to bring the people back from Egypt. And you can read about the plagues if you go along. Um, all right, what about all well, chapter 7, chapter 33, verse 7. We'll turn to Exodus chapter 33, and we start to read together from verse 7. The heading speaks about Moses meets with the Lord. I just want to read a few verses of Scripture, but you can afterwards, you can look at the rest of the verses towards the end. We'll refer to some of those, but the benefit of the time, I will not uh, spend too much time explaining each and every one of them. And so Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. It came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. And so it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door, and watched Moses until he had come into the tabernacle. It came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of the cloud ascended, and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses, and the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. And so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp of his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Let's just read those few verses of Scripture together tonight from 
from the word of the Lord. One of the people that has really impacted my life was a man called Duncan Campbell. And I remember I was able to visit the famous place of the Hebrides Revival that took place in 1948 as well as 1958, which is the northwestern part of the Scottish Islands called Hebrides. There's a place called Barras. I had the privilege of being there and to speak in the same church where Duncan Campbell spoke when the revival broke out many, many years ago. But you know, in 1918, Duncan Campbell found himself in the first world war that took place in Europe. He's all the way from Scotland. He's a Scottish man. He spoke the Gaelic language. But in that time, he got hurt. And as he was lying in the middle of the mud, uh, surrounded with people who died because of all that happened in the war, he prayed a special prayer. He said, Lord, that you would make me as holy as you can make a bone against sin. And God heard that prayer from Duncan Campbell. And he saved his life. He protected him and he sent him back all the way where he came from. And if you read the biography of Duncan, you'll see he became a minister of the Church of Scotland. He became a pastor. And then God started using him as a revival preacher. Wherever he was preaching, God sent revival to the life and the ministry of Duncan Campbell. Famous was the Hebrides revival that took place in Barbas many, many years ago. But then he became a pastor from a local church. And for the next 24 years, he was the pastor of three different churches in Scotland. But one day, it was happening on the 15th of November, 1947, 24 years after his revival ministry stopped and he was a pastor from a local church, he was invited to speak at the conference about revival and holiness. Almost like the Keswick Convention that took place in England. The same type of conference in different places. And he was so proud about that, that he was able to speak at places like this five times a year as a pastor. To speak about the revival that he was part of many years ago. But as he wake up that morning at five o'clock, to spend some time as a preparation for his service, he heard somebody singing in the room next door. And so he listened very attentively and he found out that it was his daughter, her name was Sheena. She was only 16 years old and she was singing at 5 o'clock in the morning. And so he walked towards the room, knocked on the door and just kind of peeked through the door. And, and as he looked, he looked at her and said, honey, what are you doing? And she just kind of looked at him and she said, daddy, Jesus has been waking me up every morning at 4 o'clock. And I'm just sitting here reading and spending some time with Jesus because isn't Jesus just wonderful? And then she said the following, For the last few days now I have this question in my heart that I need to ask you. And the question is, when was the last time that you were kneeling next to a sinner that is accepting the Lord Jesus as his Savior? That you are a famous person. God has used you tremendously as a speaker in the Hebrides, and you are a pastor, a senior pastor from a big church for the last few years, but when was the last time that you were kneeling next to a sinner, accepting Christ as his Savior? And Dr. Campbell said that question just kind of shook him. And he left to go to the conference to speak. He was scheduled to preach at 11 o'clock. There was a man called Dr. Fitch that was scheduled to preach by 9 o'clock. He said this morning, I don't want to give you a sermon, I'm just going to give you a testimony of what God has 
down to my soul. He was testifying. And God gives that testimony to shoot down again. And so he delivered the service and he just kind of left. He went back home and he said to his wife, I don't want to see anybody just close the door. And because there was something in his heart. The conviction was so strong. He just weeped and fell on the carpet and just lie down and pray and weep. Very early the next morning, after midnight, he was still struggling with God. He said, well, how can I say yes, go back in full-time ministry of preaching? Who will take care of my family and my daughter? I just promised her a new dress and a jacket. And as he was struggling, she just knocked on the door, she died. She just looked at her father and said, Daddy, whatever the cost, just go through with Jesus tonight. And if you are concerned about a new dress or a jacket, Mama will take the old one and just fix it up, it will be as new. But you just say this to God. And that night he surrendered. And that was the beginning of the 1948 revival in the Hebrides that took place. You know, next year, God willing, in the month of September, we will be there again with a group from the USA, and a special group that will go from South Carolina and go walk in the footsteps of all the revivalists and breakers and this will be also one of those places to give some teaching. But you know, that was the beginning of the revival that began in his heart. Because as he was struggling, God was walking behind the scenes in the heart of his daughter. And sometimes when we're not where we're supposed to be with God, God has to find a way behind the scenes. But I simply want to call God and work behind the shadows. To touch your heart and my heart, we can be and become once again what God wants us to be. And I want us to look tonight, if you look at the story of Moses, it starts in Exodus chapter 3. And I'm just going to give you a rundown as an introduction, show you a picture, and I'm going to give you five points that you can take back home tonight. And I just want to, I just want to give this to you. In Exodus chapter 3, we find out how God called Moses at the bush that was burning. You know the story so well. And God called him at the bush that was burning. That means he heard the voice of God that spoke to him so clearly. In Exodus chapter 5 through chapter 13, he saw the power of God through the plagues that took place. And now God did the one miracle after the other until the end. Chapter 6 verse 12, we see clearly how God was speaking to Moses. And we read it together face to face. We heard the voice of God daily in his life. Chapter 12, verse 43, God still speaks to him. Chapter 13, God spoke to him through the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire by night. Exodus chapter 14, Moses saw this tremendous thing that happened, which was the, uh, you know, the participant, you know, when God opened the Red Sea. But not just Moses. Let me just backtrack a little bit and show you, but it's not just Moses, but also his brother Aaron, because that's important to understand it. Because one of the things Moses was telling God, he said, well, I cannot go back to, to Egypt because I cannot speak properly. And he was lying. Because in the book of Acts chapter 7, the Bible tells us Moses was mighty in word and deep. He could speak jolly good. You know how to speak. But when he met with God, he said, I cannot speak properly. He was lying. But God knew that. He said, by the way, your brother Aaron is also there. And he's already on his way to you. And I have to be honest with you. I've been in that desert six times in my life. If you drive with a vehicle from the land of Goshen, just outside of Cairo, it would take you six to seven hours to get to the mountain. If this is the right mountain in Sinai and St. Catherine. 
It probably is the one in Saudi Arabia, it seems to be, but it took you six to seven hours if you drive per vehicle. If you walk, it'll take you several days to get there. And God just told him in chapter 4, he said, and by the way, Aaron, your brother, is already also on his way to meet with you. But if you haven't seen your brother for 40 years, you heard the voice of God also so clearly if God told him to go meet his brother Moses in the desert. So something has happened with Aaron as well. He met with God. He heard the voice of God that made him walk into the desert, where I've been a number of times, to go find someone that he hasn't seen for 40 years. And he met with him. And he came back with him. So he also heard the voice of God. He saw the plagues, the miracles. He saw the Red Sea. He saw the earth cloud. So there's the two brothers. Both heard the voice of God. Both had a unique encounter with God. Both brothers had a call of God. One to lead the people and one to become a companion for his brother on the journey. Two brothers. I want you to see that. The next slide. Chapter 15. There's the waters of Mara. Chapter 16. The bread from heaven. Mara. The well-timed gift on a daily basis. Chapter 17. The water from the rock. The Amalekites, chapter 17, the cloud, once again, the meal of God that took place, chapter 24. Miracle upon miracle upon miracle upon miracle upon miracle. The voice of God upon the voice of God upon the voice of God upon the voice of God. And then the golden calf, chapter 32. Why do I say that? Before we get to the message for tonight, I want to show you a picture. There are two, two or three pictures on the screen that you can see. One time when I find myself in a place in, called Timna, just outside, just north of Elat, we had a Messianic Jew that was our guide for the day. We spoke and spent some time about the tabernacle of the wilderness. And I asked the lady a question. If I look at, if this is a bird's view from the top down to the bottom, this is what you will see, she told me. She said, right, right in the center you find the tabernacle of the wilderness. Around them you will find the tents of the Levites, because they were the one appointed to serve the Lord in the temple. And then behind them you will find the tribes to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. And from the west to the east you talk about five or six miles. And from the north to the south, five or six miles. And then I ask her a question. If you look at this picture behind me, where was the tent that Moses was living with his wife? That was my question. And then she told me, if you look at the screen, we'll find right towards the end there, little tents, basically in the front. That's always the tent where Moses was staying. And behind him, the tent of Joshua, Caleb, Aaron, and all those that is part of when you call the Levite tribes to complete the circle. If you go to the next slide, you will see, if you would sit at the tent of Moses and look to the front, you will see the entrance of the tabernacle of the wilderness. That's the bird's view from the tent of Moses which is very important. But now if we get to the scriptures tonight, I want you to see four or five or six things that you can take back home with you tonight. And the first thing that we read about together tonight in Exodus chapter 33 verse 7 was that there was a place of meeting. And if you look at that verse again, we can read this together. And Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called in the tabernacle of meeting, and came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. 
Now, if I look at this, I have put a number of things up on the screen for you just to have a look to see what this actually is meaning. This place was outside the camp. Now remember now in your mind, just have this picture that, that if you see the tabernacle in the center, which was their lots, by the way, this time, because they only had to build it afterwards, but that was the center. And then you find the Levites around it, and you find the tribes around it, and you find Moses living there. But the Bible tells us every time when the pillar of cloud was lifting and the move, they would pitch up all the tents and they would walk and if the pillar of cloud stopped, they would stop and they would start to put the tents down and the tabernacle as well, they would stay. Moses would pitch up his tent with his wife, he would make a nice place for him to stay and they would be happy. But then he would take another tent, not the tent that he was living, he would take another tent and he would start to move, move the Bible says, to the outside of the camp and put a place there which he called the place of meeting the tabernacle where we can meet with God. And the Bible says this was outside the camp, outside the business of life. Now to go to a place which is four or five miles away, it means he has to walk. He takes some time and commitment to go to that place. It was separated from sin and from failure that took place in the center of the crowd. You remember because of the golden calf. This was outside, away from sin, away from busyness, away from noise. It took time and commitment to get there. It was the birthplace, I believe, of God's presence to return amongst the people. It only asked for one person to start with. But I have a question that is still on this side. When Moses was walking from his tent of living to the outside, to a place of meeting to be with God. Where was his brother? Because the Bible says Moses went alone with Joshua. Where was Aaron? The one who had been there, called by God to be Moses' companion, and saw the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, saw the miracle of the Red Sea, the manna that comes every day on your doorstep, day by day. And amazing you think about manna, for instance, is almost when you think about the number that God has given them. And I woke up the number the other day, it's truckloads upon truckloads upon truckloads upon truckloads of food, just arriving every morning. Not just the amount that we are sending to a creditor moment, but it's, 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 a, it's a tremendous amount, tons and tons and tons of food, everyone that God is going to get to them. But he saw that. He heard the voice of God. He climbed the mountain of Moses in Exodus chapter 24 and had a meal of God, fellowship meal in God's presence. He, he was there, two brothers, close to one another, and saw the glory and the miracle of God. Now they come to this place. And Moses walked to the place of meeting. But where is there? You know what, I thought to myself, maybe he was just sitting at his tent behind Moses, enjoying a nice little chair and maybe a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and a biscuit, a nice cheesecake from South Carolina. And watching his brother walk. You know, he's the appointed high priest that can go into the holiest of holiest once a year and to be in that presence of the glory of God, but where's Aaron in this moment? I just 
sitting there, pulling his grandkids to come along. He said, Listen, let Papa tell you a story. About that day, he took the stuff of Moses and put this inside the Red Sea, and the Nile River and becomes red blood. Ah, Papa, we know that story. It's an old story. Tell us something new. Probably <coughs> that day, when I was with Moses on the mountain, and we, we lift up his hands and we were praying, and God gave the victory against the Amalekites when Joshua was. He said, Ah, Papa, we also know that story. Tell us something new. Aaron had nothing new to say. He was just sitting in his tent, remembering those days gone by when I saw the glory of God, had the fellowship meal, and heard the voice of God. But now he's sitting there while Moses was making fresh new memories of God in the place of meeting. Next slide. Moses was making full use of what I want to call access to God. Look at verse 7 to verse 10. The Bible says an amazing thing. So whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, and all the people rose even and each man stood by his tent, probably Aaron too, and watched Moses until they had gone to the tabernacle. And when Moses entered the tabernacle, the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door. And he spoke to Moses. You know, the high priest can enter only once a year in this holiest of holies. But the Bible teaches us that the moment the Lord Jesus died on the cross for you and for I, that veil was cut into half. And he opened the door for us to go into that very holy presence every second of the day. I remember when I was in Wales a few years ago. Uh, I spoke to David Davis. David Davis was one of the missionaries that was there when God sent the revival in the Congo back in the day. And I asked him the question. I said, "What was the moment? And those, the moment that God came down in that revival hour? You know what he told me? He said, "Francois, there was a time for about two weeks before the revival came that we met with, with one another every day. We were just lying on our faces and crying." Facing all our sins. But then there was a moment, he said, the last day or two before God came, that we were living in the very presence, moment by moment. We were so aware, if you reach out with your hand, you can touch. It was so real. And then revival came. Aaron can go only there once a year as the high priest, but Moses entered that because God gave him access. How do I know that the moment he entered, God just came down and talked to him? Moses was making use, full use of the access that he has to God. Let me tell you something tonight. We have the same access tonight. Every second of the day, we can be connected to him. But look at Moses. He was at the right place. He was at the place of meeting. Not just the place of meeting, but he was also the right frame of mind. He submitted himself, he walked all the way. He was at the right disposition, he had a listening heart. But I want you to see something else before I continue. If you go to the tabernacle today in Timna, just north of, of Elat, you go to that place and you go past the holiest in the front, you go to the holiest of holies. 
And you find the Ark of the Covenant. That the Bible speaks about in Exodus chapter 25, how we bought it. You find that there's the mercy seat. And you find the cherubim, this one, this one, this side. And they were facing one another, the faces of the cherubim, but the eyes were inside the mercy seat. And, and as I looked at that one time, as I was standing inside there with my group, you know that it's about that high, the mercy seat. That high. That's the level of the table. And then you've got the angels. And I just love this little passage where the Bible says, God spoke to Moses face to face. You know when the Jewish people enter the tabernacle and the holiest of holiest, they went on their knees, they crawled inside with a rope tied behind them. In case you see the glory of God, he dies, and then they can pull him out. So what was the position that Moses was in when he met with God inside? Let me show you. This was his position. Because that's the level face to face. Because he heard the voice speaking to him from the mercy seat. How do I know that? Numbers chapter 7 verse 39. <coughs> so Moses made full use of his access. And he came to the place where he spoke to God, God spoke to him. There was a conversation. But that was his position. Ah, but where is the brother, the high priest? Ah, said he when he stand. Ah, let me just put something on Facebook, he says. Put something, something new and new that we can like and some comments and new articles and new verses of scripture and add some pictures and make a nice photo of it and post it. How many times can you open Facebook every day before you become boring? One time, two times, five times? Just gonna scroll to see what people are posting. Drink some more tea. Go back and tell a new story. Ah Old stories. I don't respect even standing next to his tent just like all the other people. But Moses is having this intimate conversation with the creator of the universe. I just love chapter 34. If you go to the next chapter, you'll see. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut for you two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you wrote. Oh, so be ready. So God sent an invitation. So be ready in the morning or prepare yourself. Come up in the morning and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. And come alone. No man shall come with you. Come alone. Quiet time is to be alone. You know how many people tell me in America that my husband and wife we read the Bible together? But what the man actually says is that the wife reads and he listens. Quiet time is to be alone. You can have quiet time with your wife together, but quiet time is you and God. He said, come alone. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Well, I've climbed that mountain six times in my life. I have to be honest, where are the big stones? Without stone, you would have walked for two and a half, three hours to get to the top. It means he had to plan, effort, sacrifice, and commitment. So he rose up early in the morning, as God says, and went to the mountain. I just love verse 5. Look at verse 5. 
And now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So when Moses came to the place of the meeting, this time on the mountain, God just came down. So the question tonight is not if you read your Bible this morning, but if God came down and met with you when you read your Bible and spent some time with you. Because we have full access to the presence of the glory. Moses was making full use of the sexes. But where is the brother? Maybe just sitting at his tent. Content, happy. Look what Moses is doing, verse 11. He was cultivating a friendship with God. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he returned to the camp and served of Joshua. The young man did not depart from the tabernacle. I spoke about friendship briefly. But here we can see it from the life of Moses. Yesterday it was David and Solomon and Jesus. But you know, to cultivate a friendship, it takes time. It takes face time. Then you can see the body language, the eyes, the facial expressions, just to be together. Just like to hang out. So Moses is building this friendship of God. But where is the high priest? Content to enter that place once a year. Go through the motions of religious activities, Christianity, even standing with people and watching to see how the glory of God ascends. But he could have been inside that glory. If you wanted to. Point number four. He was longing for more. Look at Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. But the Bible says, it said, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace, favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I might know you and might find grace in your sight. Moses is going the distance. He said, Lord, I want to know you. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, if you read that from the Amplified Version, to know him. You know the word ways in the Bible that we up there is the word odos, H-O-D-O-S. the Greek word coming from the book of Luke chapter 3. It's the same word if you return to the book of Isaiah. Go prepare ye the way of the Lord. He will make his ways known. The way of the Lord means odos, H-O-D-O-S, the Greek word. It's the manner of conduct, the way we are living. In the way that we are living, we can actually show God where is our heart in that. So he touches on this, he said, but the people of Israel saw the deeds of God, but Moses knew the heart, the why God doing things. And that was visible in the way that he was living in that moment. He was longing for more. Longing for more, hungry for more. But the other one is just content, just kind of sitting there. Maybe even standing with other people, but the heart, 
the heart. You know, 2.7 million people, I said that last night, has become inactive in America last year, Christians, and 2.7 the previous year, that's 5.4 million people. You know what's going to happen this year? But even I think about America, and I see America, and I see the states, and in the states I see the cities, and I see the little areas around the cities, and I see all the churches, and inside the churches are people like yourself and me tonight, and, and every family, small little church has individuals, and every individual has a heart. It's not difficult for God to change America. If you get hold of the heart of the individual, my life changed, my marriage changed. You know, when I was in, in, in Cornwall, I was preaching in the Baptist church just outside of a place called Cornwall, Penzance Baptist Church. And I remember speaking to Dr. Isle Roberts and asking, what can you tell me from the life of Jonathan Fletcher and John Wesley? It was not much about Jonathan Fletcher, but I can tell you as well. Mary, his wife, wrote when he died in a small little clip inside the magazine and the newspaper. She said the following. If you don't have to read his biography, you'll see he was a man with a very short temper. But God touched his heart and changed his life. And John Wesley said, the Lord Jesus and Paul and the next person that lived the holiest life upon this earth was Jonathan Fletcher. That was the words of John Wesley. He said, Jesus born in the of pleasure because he was so holy. You know what Mary said? To live with Jonathan in the house was as if I was living with Jesus. He was so gentle and lowly and holy and soft and tender. The man that had a fuse so short of God changed him. You know, Jesus is in the transformation business. To receive something from Christ in his dreams. For he to touch the heart of an individual tonight in America, alcoholic, drug addict, the guy addicted to pornography, whatever the case may be. For the Lord, it's just one word. He can say one word. My father. My father was an and I remember one Sunday morning in a session like this in Cape Town area. I was preaching Saturday, my friend, the pastor, was preaching on Sunday morning. My dad came to pick me up to take me to the airport afterwards. We had to sit in the, in the service as an alcoholic. And this guy was preaching normal service. But at the end he said, if you want to accept the Lord today as your Savior, why don't you come stand in front here tonight? for this morning. And the next moment I saw my dad got up and walked to the front, weeping. And he took me to the airport, and that was the beginning of my father's life that was changed. He stopped alcohol in a moment. He read through the Bible in one year before he died. I saw his face change from red to a light brown color, his eyes from dark red to normal color. Within one year, he read through the scriptures. His life was changed. One moment of the touch from Jesus. Don't you think of everything change? 
somehow we have drifted. We've become that air, content, sitting in our tents, not longing for more. Look what Moses is doing. Next, he's asking him to stay. Chapter 33. Look at that. Verse 12. He said then, Moses said to the Lord, See, now I want you to stay with me. If your presence will not go, can read from verse 12 to the end of verse 18. He said, Please, stay with me. Do not go away from this place. Now you've come down all the way and you kind of pleased with me and I found favor. Let your presence stay here. Don't, don't, don't go back. That's what friends do. When you hang out together and have a meal and fellowship, you see the time flies and you have to go back home. And you say, oh, just one more cup of coffee and let's just have dessert. And just talk some more. It's so nice to be together. It's friendship. So Moses has come to this place and said, don't go back. Just, just stay. Just stay here with me. Just stay with me. God said, even in this, you will find favor. Because you ask me. Jesus stayed longer on the road to Emmaus because they asked him. You've come down all the way. Just, just kind of stay. I remember a few years ago when I spoke to Dr. Dacoby the first time about quiet time. He said, Come on, about one thing. And that is when I entered into the, my quiet time place. He said, you can only leave that place when God releases you. You don't walk inside and read your devotion for the day and your scripture and pray and go to business and tick up your head in quiet time. You stay there until He releases you. Because the creator of the universe has this made of you. The one that controls your timing, the day, your program, the schedule, the weather. He knows how to change the day that you will still fit in all the things that you have to do. But you can only leave when he's finished with you. So I sit there until I sense God is done with me. Then I leave. So Moses is just there. Don't go. But where is that brother that was there? That saw the glory in chapter 24. The glory of God, Exodus chapter 33, verse 19 to 23. He said, Lord, I, if I really have found favor in your eyes, just show me your glory. And God said, there's a, there's a place around here, a little, little place in, in, in the rocks. And I'm going to put you there and, and somehow if I walk past you, then you will see my glory. God showed him something so special. From that moment, the glory of God came back in amongst the people. But did Moses stop? No, chapter 34. Come up tomorrow morning, come early, come alone. If you read chapter 34, you will see how God spoke to him and told him to write all these things down. And as he was sitting there running it down, the Bible said that go tell the people, and as you go down chapter 34, he had to hide his face because his face was shining from God's glory. You know when transformation takes place, Paul says to Corinthians chapter 3, when we behold like in the face in the mirror, glory to glory, we are changed in the city. 
not going through the motions of quiet, but in the encounter. And God said, let me show you something so special. And he came down, his face was shining. Peace in the heart for you and I today. Contentment, joy. We walk away from those encounters different than we entered. A wife can see that daddy has met with Jesus this morning. It's quiet. There's no irritation, there's patience, there's hope. I need to close. You know, in Hebrews chapter 6, you can read this. The light from Duncan Campbell, there was a moment that he saw that in revival. But he lost it. He became a pastor. Nothing wrong with that. But he lost the glory of revival time. And God had to walk behind the scenes in the shadows to get his attention from his daughter to bring him back. Moses was there. We don't want to lose that. And he went deep. The brother was there. And somehow he lost it. Content. I need to close by asking you a question. How much of God's presence do you really want in your life? Would you be willing to pay the price for that? You would ask God, what is the price? Let me tell you. To take the tent and go pitch up tomorrow morning outside the camp. Away from the business of life, the noise, the crowds, the sin, the failure, Go find a place where you can spend some time with the one that can change everything. That holds your life in the hollow of his hand. And come to the place where you can abandon yourself in the divine providence and glory and presence of him himself. Because all things are sent by God and governed by him. And that's the way that will lead you in a life of it takes a moment to get up in the morning and walk to a place that you can sit in quietness and listen. It takes 21 days to learn something new. It takes one day to learn sin. 21 days to learn something new. If you would take 21 days to wake up in the morning, spending some time with him, listening, processing, responding, at least for three weeks, you will see a change that you place. You become a habit in your life. I believe that the life of victory hinges on three things. An act of surrender. The purpose to decide not to say and to do except what you've seen and heard from the Lord. And then lastly, I believe a daily habit of reading from God's Word listen to his voice and just to sit and to be with him. Now tonight, you will leave this sanctuary. We will go home. But you will leave this sanctuary tonight either as a 